Hello everyone. Before we kick off this episode, we just wanted to say thank you to two of our patrons in particular, Toby and Jennifer, who have chosen to support us on the highest tier available Rainbow Parent. Thank you, both of you, so much for your support, and we can't quite believe it, to be completely honest. Now, before all of this sincerity gets a little bit too awkward, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I, I'm Jazza John. Each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode genre is... Queer Revenge! Revenge. I went more kind of like surprise and you went more sinister. I... I, I get that, we're cool. We're going to be discussing the derivative, celebratory, we'll talk about it. This week we're doing Do Revenge, out on Netflix, and directed by Jennifer Katyn Robinson. But before we dive into which pastel school uniform palette we think would suit us best, Jazza, what's the gayest thing you've done since the last episode? Mainly thinking about how great I would look in the mint pastel outfits mm, from Do Revenge. Yes. But also, um, I had the privilege of going to see Abigail Thorne's new play you this did. week. You did. I did. You know when like a friend does something creative and then you have to go along and because they're your friend... You have to like it, yes, and have like an, an an educated and a thoughtful opinion about it because otherwise that friendship is over and you're never going to get to do free shit mm. with them ever again. I can happily say that Abby's play is actually really fucking good, excellent, really fantastic commentary on kind of like it can be read as like a trans experience, trans awakening story. It's also like full of Shakespeare and shit. It's really fantastic. One of the most unique things I've seen like performed live in a very long time everybody should go and see it i think she's recording it and putting it on nebula or something if you can't come to london to watch it but yeah it also as uh, in terms of like the gayest thing i've done this month everybody in that audience is exactly the kind of person you would expect to at be a philosophy at that show. tube yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah 100 it was basically a philosophy tube meet and greet how about you Rowan? what's the gayest thing you've done i don't think that i've talked about the potato party Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. And I just think there's something gay about potatoes, you know? <laughs> I've just decided that and no one can stop me. So I hosted a potato dinner party, which is, it's, I mean, pretty much what it says on the tin of boiled potatoes. Everyone comes and brings a potato dish or some kind of potato related activity. So we had like party games from Big Potato Games, the game company. Uh, we had potato printing. We had... Uh, so many potato dishes that were all incredible, including Connie made sweet potato casserole that was unbelievably good. Like, even though my expectations were the, as low as hell for the idea of a dish that's just mashed up sweet potatoes <laughs> with a bit of crumb on top with some marshmallows, which sounds like my worst nightmare. It was so good. Oh, it was like the American style It was the American sweet potato casserole vibes. I've always wanted to try that because who in their right mind mashed up potatoes and then thought, you know what this needs? Gelatin. More marshmallow. Get Connie to send you the recipe because it is truly... I, I now am like, I think I need to just make this part of a roast dinner. Like a little, give myself a little individual sized portion of this deliciousness. Mm. Okay, yeah. Excellent. Um, I'm very sad I didn't come. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Invite me to the next one. Uh, we'll see. No. For those of you new to the Queer Movie Podcast, here's how we do things. First, we are going to have a little bit of a natter about revenge narratives and also briefly talk about why it feels a little bit like this movie was produced by an algorithm or not because i might disagree with that after that as always we're <laughs> splitting the film into three acts and headbanging to the best bloody soundtrack we've heard in years we will be spoiling all of this movie so would recommend watching it beforehand if you prefer to go into these things blind though honestly uh, you'll love it you should watch it just do it just watch and without further ado, let's love tap your car at a mere 20 miles per hour and review Do Revenge. 
So when we talk about revenge as a genre itself, this is something that has a long history. So the revenge tragedy as a term was kind of first coined and popularized in the 1900s. But within that usage, it was referring to texts from like 1500 and earlier. So the sort of top line thing that makes it a revenge play is like a story that has a central character focused on revenge against a real or imagined slight. So the kind of ones you'll know from that Renaissance era will be like Hamlet, the Spanish tragedy, the Jew of Malta, Othello, etc., etc. Shakespeare is very into it. But this dramatic focus on revenge as something which is like inherently interesting for us to be watching, it's something that pulls you in, has a lot of pathos to it within fictional works, is something which has continued like over the centuries um, and also feeds into kind of like as a subgenre of a number of other genres. So like everything from Taken to Mean Girls. I would like <laughs> to ask you, Jazza, why do you think it is so popular? Like, why is revenge something that people like to watch? I imagine it's something... Uh, and actually, the this movie, Do Revenge, touches on that. So Maya Hawke's character says, I could never do revenge myself at one point, right? Like, mm. when she's being propositioned to kind of, like, do this whole shebang. And I feel like most people, normal people, are never going to actually revenge do revenge. Someone, nobody's actually going to do revenge. Otherwise, we'd have a shit ton of murders. And so I guess it's like living vicariously through fictional characters, like being able to do the thing that maybe we all fantasize about. Mm. And I think depending on the view that the filmmaker has, if they have one of their own characters, it kind of splits into two ideas of like, one is the, this is a an act which is justified and we feel a catharsis because we want to do that act. So like we want to get that revenge. Mm -hmm. But then the other side of it is, this is a warning about the dangers of revenge and what revenge can do to you if you become consumed by it. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting because as a genre, it kind of depends on what context the filmmaker decides to use and what their own messages are as to like which way we go on it. And I think it's very interesting that probably one of the most famous revenge narratives, I would say, especially of like modern, the modern era is Strangers on a Train, which is essentially the plot of this movie. Uh, mm -hmm. in terms of its base premise, which is the idea that the best way to get away with some kind of like revenge motivated crime, a murder, like revenge plot would be if you were to do the crime against someone that you had no connection to. Doesn't make sense if it's a revenge crime because the idea is you have a strong connection to them. So what if you swapped revenge with a stranger? Mm-hmm basically the plot of this movie and what's very fun is that Eleanor uh, is literally reading Strangers on a Train when we first meet her excellent we love that we've seen that love in, a good reference in stuff like Fire Island like the the reference material clearly signposted at the beginning of the movie by being read by the main character and then reading never mentioned ever again but this is always the case like it, the the alternative to that in a teen movie is it's covered in the English class that they're all taking mm -hmm. oh sure yeah of course that is the alternative so I love a good revenge caper uh -huh. and I think it fits very well with the teen movie genre because we have within teen movies I feel like successful teen movies have this really heady mix of a bunch of elements and one of them is this very like heightened overly dramatic teenage angst element to it mm -hmm. which is just uh re revenge is one of those emotions right one of those motives that's going to fit in with that and it also I think does fit in with these other ideas of like very aesthetic stuff, very camp, a lot of self-awareness, very iconic set pieces within the narrative. All of this kind of stuff, it it just runs alongside really well. So yeah, the, in terms of the revenge genre and queerness, we, me and Jazz actually watched for this very podcast, mm -hmm. They Them, the other month. Oh yes, I was wondering what you were going to say there. But yes, we, yeah. we did. That's literally the last episode we did. Exactly. Which, which is essentially like a revenge... Nar like a queer revenge narrative yeah, yeah. in itself as well. 100%. And so I do think it's interesting looking at like what revenge and queerness looks like, whether it is a queer character who is getting revenge in an unrelated issue or whether it is more like that movie and this one where the revenge is very tied to a queer experience, whether mm -hmm. that is outright homophobia, whether that is being made to feel lesser because of your queerness, whether that is being outed. Like there's a lot of experiences where queer people have anger and in real life, like the experiences which make them feel like they have been severely wronged. Mm -hmm. And 
that is where a kind of revenge narrative that forms more of that fantasy side of things is kind of could be of interest. Although interestingly with they them, the revenge was seen as like the bad thing. Uh, and the message at the end was like, don't do the revenge, be the better person. Or at least the, the, the people who walked away at the movie with no, like it, it, you were you were codified as like a good person. Yes. And someone who has been, I don't know, like almost rightfully is feels very angry about the way that they've been mistreated, uh, is painted as kind of like irrational in the villain. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel mm-hmm. like there should be more celebration of the justified revenge from like an uh, like a genuinely wronged individual. I don't know. I, like kind of more along the lines of like the ultimate revenge fantasy for me is like Kill Bill. Mm. And she kind of like comes away from that with a happy ending and I quite like those happy endings for the people who have the balls to actually do the revenge well what's really interesting in this movie and we'll we'll get to it when we talk about the plot is that the queer character doesn't really get revenge Mm -hmm. right like like that's kind of not how that particular part of the storyline works but before we get into that I as I was watching made a note of every time a teen movie reference happened Uh because there were a lot of them uh, and I'm a massive teen movie fan and it made me very happy but I get the sense Jazza that it did not make you very happy um do you want to talk a bit about teen the teen movie side of things and the production side of things yeah right so I I completely understand and respect your love for the callbacks that this movie did because I feel like they approached the production of this movie with like a checklist of we are going to have for example like we're going to have a transformation sequence where she gets made up we're going to have a slow walk around the corner we're going to have a party and its aftermath we're going to have like a big twist there's going to be a tour of the school and we're going to clearly label all of the members all of the different groups of the school and i did like there was there was part of me that really really enjoyed that however I feel like so many of those things didn't fit into the movie. And that's why I wanted to talk about why it felt like this was a movie written by an algorithm. I thought, aesthetically, it absolutely slapped. Like, it did... (laughs) That is 90% of a teen movie, Jazza. 100%. And I loved that. Like, every single fucking outfit that the character Drea came out in Mm -hmm. was a thoughtful fucking masterpiece. Do you know what I've realised, Jazza? I want drag queens around the world to be doing those outfits. Please, tell me what you've realised. So, yes, to the drag queen one, but also, this movie came out just over a month before Halloween, which is mm. genius because it's the, it's the exact right amount of time for people to be able to make slash buy their costumes based on this movie. Oh my God, am I gonna... I was originally gonna go as a gay blue Power Ranger and I may have to buy a mint plaid dress. Yeah, one. I think you might have to go as Drea. Oh dear, that's really terrible. <laughs> the algorithmization of it, I think, comes up, it comes up from the back of how we understand Netflix to really have an analytical approach to the way that it thinks about uh, continuing shows and commissioning shows. And I feel like you can really see all of the boxes that this production ticked in terms of cast. Noticeably, like the cast are across a load of very popular teen productions at the moment. Camilla Mendes, who plays Drea, was in Riverdale. And Maya Hawke is obviously Uma Thurman's daughter and kind of like a hot new thing on the on the scene. On the Stranger Things. Uh, yes, on the Stranger. Th- is she in Stranger Things? I oh my it. God, Jazza! Yes, she plays a lesbian in Stranger Things. Another lesbian? I mean, it's too much. It's a it's pattern. Too much. It's an absolute pattern. The problem that I have is that I think that there was the Strangers on the Train narrative that I thought actually was really good and really interesting, and then all of the teen movie stuff. It felt like we were having the revenge fantasy, and then we were having like a teen movie callback. And I felt like there was very little fusion between those two things. Despite the fact that all of the elements in themselves were really, really fantastic. The soundtrack, sterling, amazing. I genuinely listen to it every single fucking day. The outfits and the the props and the settings, absolutely amazing. Some of the performances are really, really fantastic. But it feels like because they've reverse engineered it, and it's really difficult for me to put kind of like a finger on... Like, it is this thing that has caused me to feel, like, a bit iffy and uneasy about it. But it just felt like nothing came together and gelled very well for me. I don't know if you have 
felt any of that, and it sounds like you haven't, but it just screamed of reverse engineering for me. Like, even the second time that I watched it, it made me even more aware of all of those kinds of things as well. I don't know. So I would say that the idea of being self-referential and referential to the genre is itself basically what the teen movie genre is. So everything that you mention is not from like a movie that it has been derivative of. It is in multiple movies. So for example, the showing her around the school thing, it's a clueless thing, but it's also a mean girls thing. It's also a 10 things I hear about you thing. Like it's, it's all of these things happen in multiple movies, which is also the case with a lot of genres, right? So like with romance, for example, rom-coms, rom-coms are the most like derivative genre. If we're looking at like the particular kinds of scene, particular kinds of action, you can plot rom-coms like to the minute in terms of what's going to happen in them. You know that there's going to be like this scene, that scene, you know there's going to be a breakup at this minute. You know that they're going to get to get back together by this minute. You know that this is this will happen. And I feel like it's very similar with the teen movies, although to a lesser degree. But I did find that there was some elements that I felt like it fused teen movies that were the more poppy teen movies and then the more edgy or thriller slash horror-based teen movies in a really interesting way. So like the cool kids hanging by the fountain was like obviously a scream reference, um, Sarah mm-hmm. Michelle Gellar even being in it, but also references to like Cruel Intentions that were in there. Heather's was referenced with the croquet. Like there was a bunch of stuff that was really not just looking at the idea of like, oh, I'm like, I'm Mean Girls and I want to be the sort of 2000s version of the 90s Clueless. So it, it was like, okay, it, what am I actually taking references from and how is that going to be seeding in the twist in a way that like having Jawbreaker, for example, the makeover scene was like very Jawbreaker in that it also made mm-hmm. references to Frankenstein, for example, like very, very like explicitly. Oh yeah. And the I made you, I can destroy you line is also like lifted from Jawbreaker as well. Yeah. And I re- I did really like the idea of like mixing in the different types of teen movie into something to start to kind of seed that little bit of like what's actually happening here i will i will say like it's a complete fucking mess of a movie like Mm -hmm. it's too long it should have definitely been tightened up i was like reasonably unconvinced by the b plots i was like very very unconvinced by the romantic all the the romance subplots kind of just wanted to skip the ones with camilla's character entirely like dreas thing i was just like okay whatever Mm -hmm. so for me like in that way it's not the sort of movie that i think is like the easy a the mean girls the clueless which is like short as it needs to be very tight not a wasted scene not a wasted subplot like this is icon status but i do think it is very good at what it's trying to do which is just be fucking chaotic like just the idea of like we're gonna have this character slam into the car to do one of those classic like we're in the car and you see a headlights from the side window and it's all like just ridiculousness that was this movie that I kind of just like embraced from the beginning. Like, and the performances as well, like felt even when they were being good performances, there was some line delivery that I'm like, this is so like high camp tongue in cheek, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like the, Camilla's delivery of that line about like I'm shocked this is shocking news oh my god um, I, I adored that <laughs> absolutely so ridiculous that. like this movie is ridiculous and I think that like I very much was in the right frame of mind going into watching it of just like I know this is going to be re- like just unhinged as all hell and I'm just going to be here for that but I do agree with you that some of the plotting like kind of fell apart slightly and there wasn't necessarily enough I think especially at the end, like what was the plan? What was people's motivations? What was going on with like, what is actually happening on screen? But I also, part of me was like, oh, I've kind of forgiven you guys at this point. You're just, this mm-hmm. was just a romp. Yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe Rowan, I just need to chill out. How about you chill the fuck out, Jazza? <laughs> yeah, you're meant to be on holiday. Yeah, fair. Your, and and here I am titties. working. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate your sacrifice. So I guess, unless we've got any other fun production stuff, we should probably get into the movie itself. Whoop, whoop, let's go. So we split the film into 
three acts, whether or not those three acts actually exist. I have, for the opening third of the movie, I've called it Three Seasons in 30 Minutes um, because Mm -hmm. uh, the movie borrows from, like, again, several teen movies where it says fall, spring, winter, summer, in, like, the way that the, like, splitting up the, the year in a way that is reflective of the school year. Yes. As they go into their senior year of high school. That's how years work, yes. And it's, <laughs> shut up, um, and it cycles so quickly. It, it feels like this is going to be, like, a pivotal part of the, of the movie is, like, the seasonal aspect of it, but we go so quickly through the first three seasons, and then there's, like, a whole hour and a half of movie before we get to the final season, um, and you're like, oh, yeah, this movie did that, but that's why I've gone with three seasons, 30 minutes. Anything you want to call the first opening act? No, I think that's pretty... That's pretty good. I mean, I, I feel like it's the Mean Girls on a Train situation. Huh? I think that will probably be my title to Act One. Mean Girls on a Train. I yes. And so I guess with Act One, we know in Act Three that what we're about to narrate for you is not necessarily entirely the truth. But we'll we'll talk you through it as we experienced and as you will have experienced <laughs> without knowing. I say as I fully knew what was going to happen in this movie. Did you? So you saw the twist coming? Yeah. Basically, I am such a big fan of Strangers on a Train that I immediately, as soon as that was proposed, I clocked the fact that Eleanor had really obviously signposted it, but hadn't officially come up with the idea. And I'm like, that to me smacks of a character who is like, getting someone else to believe that they've decided what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, if only someone else could do it. Ooh, like, oh, wait, I've just had the craziest idea. And there was like a bunch of little things that that cropped up. And also that the, I maybe like that already might have been just like me think not being able to clock it. But I was immediately, my suspicions were immediately aroused by the very first line that the character has, that uh, Eleanor's character has, which essentially is like, Drea didn't know I was about to become her best friend. And I was like, this is so obviously, not necessarily like obviously like it was going to be intentional because it might have come to nothing. But I'm like, this would have been such a smart line to have done because we don't know whether this is this voiceover is happening like in the present moment of like, I have a plan to become this girl's best friend, like stalker style, Mm -hmm. or whether it's from the future where it's like, we're best friends now. And back then she had no idea that I was going to be her best friend. And that ambiguity immediately in a movie that's about like revenge and plots and stuff had me like trying to look for clues. Mm -hmm. So I think I was like, I'd primed myself from that opening line, but I don't know whether it was like obvious to other people or if it was just me going like full Sherlock Holmes from the very beginning of this unhinged movie. I mean, I don't have the the reference of um, Strangers on a Train. Um, like I've, I, I know it's something I should have read. <laughs> I do not really know. I've probably read, read the Wikipedia page a few times. Love that I've you. never actually engaged with it. Yeah, hello. should watch the Hitchcock movie. Okay, I will. Um, uh, but I uh, saw a twist coming. Mm-hmm. It was so obvious a twist was coming. And I was watching it with my flatmate when we had a fun time kind of like Guessing trying the twist. to guess what the twist was. But then when it actually came, I was like, oh, shit. Like I genuinely had what, no Do you remember any happen. of the twists you thought were going to happen? Um, I thought it was going to be hinging around who released the video. Mm, yeah, that's smart. And so we, so at one point, we thought that it was going to be Max's sister. Yeah, who released it? We thought that it was going to be Eleanor, I assume. Eleanor, who who released it, or one of the or the best friend who released it as mm. well. Um, we saw all of those happening and. Actually, the fact that the twist actually didn't even revolve around Any the video that, being yeah. released. Yeah, exactly. Was really satisfying to me. It was a really good part of the movie, actually. And so many twists, especially these days, are a little bit underthought and a bit obvious. And I, I know you said that this is like referential to the classic. But yeah, this was a very satisfying twist for me. I love that. So essentially, the first act, the beginning of this, we're introduced to our like initial point of view character I guess Drea who is at this extremely fancy school she is like top of the totem pole in terms of the social hierarchy but is on scholarship which is like okay we're adding in a little layer here she there's something going on here where she's not like the others um but she's trying to claw her way to the top and this is 
kind of her whole plan, her whole like building herself up comes crashing to a horrible halt when her boyfriend anonymously releases uh, a video of a very intimate video it's a, of her. It's a, it, it's a sex tape. A um, very intimate video of her. So he a very intimate video of her is what the Wikipedia page does in the, in the in the in the plot summary. But we see her kind of like starting to record herself, and then we can only assume what happens afterwards. But it's sexu- we assume it's sexually explicit. So basically, he before the end of summer says says I love you, and she says it back, and he's like, oh, I could really do with. Something, something to, for the you wank know, bank, you know. Something for the wank bank, quite literally. Porn exists, mate. Use that. And then what she films for him gets released. And he's committed a crime. Like, it is very much a crime mm, to do revenge porn on people. And we it doesn't really get... Like, it gets... Obviously, for a character thing, he turns it into a positive for him and he founds a new a society for cis men to support feminine-presenting people at the school or whatever. He should be in jail. He should literally be in jail for this. Yes. And I watched a TikTok the other day that was really interesting about the way in which there's like a couple... There's like three different sort of thematic elements to this movie and one of them was the the idea that like people in positions of power will not like effectively be held accountable for their actions and like Mm -hmm. that like max's storyline even as we do get some kind of revenge how i guess the question is how cathartic does it actually feel when we get a post-credit sequence of him just doing fine afterwards Mm -hmm. so max who is just like an absolute slime ball but but i will say is hot Oh, for God's sake, Jazza. But no, I'm also sorry. I'm sorry. We had to acknowledge you. it. We had to acknowledge it. Is he? I don't know. Mm. He was just a... Every every man to I'd, me is I'd just a shape with a name, him. you know? I'm, <laughs> I, I'm pretty much the same, to be completely honest, but um, the shape <laughs> does something for me, you know? The shape is kind of part of the appeal. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we get this inciting incident oh god everything's gone terribly wrong and then we just go to tennis camp yeah so for some reason she's at tennis camp and we are actually we're introduced to eleanor obviously who is the secondary protagonist the secondary protagonist our voiceover um artist our voiceover um character Yeah, sure. Played by Maya Hawke. You'd have really enjoyed this if you were here, Rowan. Mm-hmm. So I uh, was watching and watching Maya Hawke brush her teeth in the mirror. Um, and I thought, she looks so much like Uma Thurman. What a coinkydink. And then looked up and was reminded that Maya Hawke is indeed Uma Thurman's daughter. Interestingly, Uma Thurman, who has who played one of the most iconic derivative revenge movies ever mm-hmm. kill bill and now her daughter is kind of doing the same thing but with fewer samurai swords indeed would have been nice to have a few of those referenced they maybe yeah maybe at least were like could have at least given us one this is kind of setting up like Dre is there at the tennis camp specifically to work so it is continuing this thread that is is crops up a few times within the movie of the idea of like class difference specifically at this school that is very like aesthetically rich like all of these students have like designer wild clothes and they're just having like class ring ceremonies and like all of this kind of stuff and a lot of movies I think would not really have commented on this it would have just been like don't question it it's the this is just aesthetic this is just a vibe we're just going with like crazy rich people so they've done a little bit of like hmm what are the implications of someone who has like actually got something to lose mm-hmm. over the course of this movie if she doesn't get into a college there is nothing for her to fall back on you've raised this and so i am going to jump on it mm-hmm. um i really took umbrage with the fact that drea we get told about drea's financial situation yes. a lot we're never shown it we are not maya hawk's character goes over to her house and calls her house cozy once Mm -hmm. and that's about it when in terms of kind of like uh us actually having a physical interaction or a visual interaction with her circumstances yes she talks about her mum having to work a lot we never see well yeah because her mum's always working jazza that's why we don't see it Okay, fine. Aha. I would have liked, but she's also always Uno dressed Reverso. in like she's always dressed. Don't you Uno Reverso me? 
she's always dressed in like these amazing mm-hmm. outfits that definitely are not cheap. We get told that it's because they're thrifted, and I'm like, thrift stores aren't. If you're buying a, an expensive thing at a thrift store, it's still expensive. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But you know, I would have liked maybe. I feel like it was it was an afterthought of the characters. Like, oh, let's also make her poor. I would. I wouldn't disagree. It was at this stage of the movie where we're also introduced to, I think, actually the standout performance of the whole of the whole. Of Sa- the whole thing. Is it Sansa Stark? Uh, no. Who? Who do, Who are you talking about? I'm going to talk about Sophie Turner. Yeah, who plays Sansa Erica. Stark. Oh, I thought. <laughs> As in the one role she's known for. Okay, well that's rude. Um, well I've never watched Game of Thrones. Okay. So thank you so much for calling me out on that. Yeah, every time she's on the screen, I'm obsessed. She dials it up to high camp to the nth degree. uh, And I'm annoyed that we only really have two scenes of her. So basically, Maya Hawke's character overhears her talking about the fact that apparently she leaked the video. There's a misunderstanding of something being overheard here. And then Drea decides to plant cocaine on Erica's person. And we have the most amazing response with, I don't even know what cocaine looks like. It's phenomenal. And then she comes back later on and also has a similar like high camp breakdown and just really beautiful, beautiful performance. Chef's kiss. If you've se- yeah, if you've seen the vi- film, you know what we're talking about. So we get also in Act 1, like, Eleanor's revenge reasoning, which is that she was not just outed, but specifically was outed with a lie at a summer camp where a girl claimed that Eleanor had, like, pushed her down, kissed her against her will, but that this girl who did it, Carissa, is at Rose Hill, which is the school that Eleanor's about to start at. And so mm. she's clearly, you know, like hates this girl. It's like really not not into the fact that she's going to have to go to school with her. But it's like, you know, what can you do? But really it's kind of emphasizes the idea that this girl like basically ruined her life, like made her. She didn't, she kind of says, I didn't really mind about the fact that people knew that I was queer, but like I hated the fact that people saw me as like this terrible, awful person who would do something like that. Summer ends. We now go into what follows summer fall oh my god uh, and we get the tour of the school for eleanor drea kind of goes up to her old posh friends who disowned her after she had the sex tape leaked and it's clear that they have dumped her and now max is dating drea's old best friend we also see at the first assembly of the year that max has started the Cis hetero men championing female identifying students league. Catchy. A real a, a beautiful point of this that I really loved in how this was presented. Cis is completely capitalized as if it's an acronym. Do you know what's really weird? My phone does that. It auto corrects cis to all capitals and I don't understand because that's not a thing. It's and, not like a thing. why? <laughs> But it just felt really accurate. I don't know if it was deliberate or maybe it was an autocorrect in whoever made those signs. But it just felt like something that a straight person would do in order to kind I of like it. think. It's like, is this? Is it an acronym? What does it stand for? What does it for? mean? Exactly. So Drea decides to do a makeover of Eleanor so that she can infiltrate the group of friends. They have this agreement in the bathroom uh, where they're going to try and get revenge. Uh, uh, sorry, do revenge. They're going to do revenge on each other's revenge uh, Revenges. <laughs> Sure. Which is like a, it's basically that's a, that is the strangers on a plane, snakes on a plane, very different movie kind of element of like, no one knows that we know each other. We met at some at like tennis camp. And so if we just don't acknowledge each other in public, we can pretend we don't know each other. We're nothing to do with each other, but I can like Drea's like, I can teach you Eleanor how to infiltrate this popular group. And then Drea can join the school farm <laughs> club uh which is where (laughs) who are introduced as like a high school archetype it's like oh those are the farm kids as if every every school has a farm who doesn't which is carissa is kind of like it's her baby and so if drea is going to be kind of working on the farm as it were we'll be able to get close to her and get some kind of i mean i feel like what is the what is the like the plan is just get some dirt on them 
try yeah, and get exactly. exposed get some them dirt for and the then destroy them. they are exactly and i was like yeah sure gets i don't think i've ever spent time with someone and gotten dirt on them. like do you know what i mean it feels like a weird thing for them to be like this seems like a full proof plan but also as we've established i, d- I don't know Rowan. we have several hours of incriminating evidence against both of us yeah um, so i julia uh, release yeah, the I- tapes <laughs> um so eleanor goes to a party is looking all sexy and hot and manages to uh, get some dirt on max that he has been cheating on his new girlfriend tara and drea has been hanging out on the beach with the farm people and manages to get the farm keys to a greenhouse where carissa has been growing marijuana and mushrooms they then decide to spike there's going to be like a big formal dinner with rings or something later on and they decide to put the shrooms in the dinner and this is where I go into act two yeah but uh, having you just said that having you just said that um (laughs) I've realized that part one could also have been the party in its aftermath oh also every single one of these could have been the party in its aftermath incredible Um, scenes hello everybody Jazza here, just quickly, popping in for the ad read this episode. What's your summer fantasy? A whirlwind romance in Italy? Getting wet dancing in a warm rainstorm? Or maybe an unexpected summer fling? No matter how you want to get steamy this season, Dipsy has a sexy story for you to indulge in all your fantasies. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed for women by women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. Find stories about that intriguing co-worker with a British accent, maybe the one with whom you host a podcast, eh? Rowan Ellis? Hear the sexy voices of Serenus J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, and Luke Cook, and many others in stories like you've never heard before. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favourite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness stories, and though they also offer written stories... It's your go-to place to sign up for your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash queermovie. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go into dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A, stories.com slash queermovie dipsystories.com slash queer movie did you get it yet the queer movie podcast is part of multitude a collective of shows which all love to put cool stuff in your ear canal today i want to talk to you about games and feelings games and feelings is an advice podcast about games surprise surprise where you can join question keeper eric silver and a revolving cast of guests as we answer your questions at the intersection of fun and humanity since you know you've got to play games with other people and we're talking every single type of game video games of all stripes tabletop games party games laser tag escape rooms game streams D podcasts the companies and workers that make these games anything you can think of how do you convince people who have only played monopoly to play the new board game you grabbed at the game store is an escape room a good third date what makes a video game cozy and do we have any recommendations they do indeed have recommendations dear listener We answer any and all questions as long as they're games related. And question askers get a fun advice nickname like Rolling Bag in Carlsbad, California or Bethesda Fan in Bethesda, Maryland. (laughs) If you like what you hear and want to level up your emotional intelligence stats, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Friday. Check it out. We are also continuing to be supported by Squarespace who can help you buy a domain and create a website and, you know, make cool shit happen. 
We've been talking about how we love using Squarespace for our website creation, giving us access to juicy, juicy analytics, creating email campaigns, and connecting all of our social media presences in one place. It is very, very handy. We know you hear a lot of your favorite media giving discount codes for Squarespace. Trust me, I'm aware of a lot of them. But it would really help us out if you chose to support ours at the Queer Movie Podcast. All you need to do is go to squarespace.com slash queermovie and when you're set up to make all of your digital dreams come true, you can use the offer code queermovie to save 10 percentage points off your first purchase of a website or domain. 10%. Remember, go to squarespace.com slash queermovie. Now, back to the show. So when, when Eleanor catches, like, Max cheating she doesn't actually have time to get like evidence of the evidence she just knows that it's happened and so the reason why they decide to drug everyone uh, at the party is to enact two which i guess we're calling the party in its aftermath aftermath. i've also called it let me take you on a journey of umami yes agreed Mm -hmm. agreed but the it sounds like your potato party actually i know it does i should have introduced i should have begun my party with that line um (laughs) honestly a missed opportunity that i didn't but um the idea is that while everyone is high they will steal max's phone to then download all of the evidence so that they have Mm -hmm. it and they he can't just like delete it but double whammy also framed carissa for growing drugs in the school yes and i'm glad that that connects together because otherwise i would be like why did they need to drug everyone to get this boy's phone? Like For the hilarious scenes, Rowan. That's true. I think one of the things that's interesting about this movie is like, if we, if you're doing a revenge plot, you kind of can't come at it with the point of view of like, mm, is this a morally right thing for this person to do? Does this be, feel proportionate? Because if you think about it for two seconds, it's like a lot of stuff that all of these characters do is morally not great. Yeah, we at the Queer Movie Podcast do not endorse uh, spiking Drugging anybody's people. soup. Don't no. do it. You can spike it with umami only from normal <laughs> mushrooms. Maybe a bit of miso. But the plan the plan does work because we are in Act 2 and therefore plans work in Act 2. And mm-hmm. so it seems like everything's going great. But as with plans that go right in Act 2, it's a, did they succeed? Yes, but, or yes, and um, not only do they find that Max has been cheating with the one girl on his current girlfriend, he's actually been cheating with many girls all the way back to when he was dating Drea. Okay. One girl from every clique. Emotional damage happening here. And so they decide that this is going to be evidence that they can give to the school to absolutely destroy this boy. And they decide to wait to Valentine's Day for ultimate fallout potential. And they do a classic Regina George with the burn book, Mean Girl style, chaos in the corridors, like mm-hmm. photocopy copies of all of these texts, put them up on the walls. And I like the fact that later in the movie, they get called out on the fact that like, hey, you remember when this whole thing was about the fact that you're like, this intimate video of yourself that you took to send to someone was like leaked. And then you just proceeded to print out private conversations and photos of all of these girls and put them all over the school. Did you not think for one second about anyone other than yourself? And I was like, mm. I, I like the fact that we raised this point because you are entirely correct. That's a sick burn. That is raised, by the way, at, later on in the movie by a, a character called Russ, who is Drea's new boyfriend. And Unimportant. Um, we don't, don't need to talk about yeah, him Yeah, unimportant. We're never going to mention him again. Yeah, d- yeah. They've got some scenes, whatever they date, but he is so boring. So we just, we'll just pretend he doesn't exist. And I think the no Russ cut should be an edit someone should do. And then you should just watch the, the whole movie without him because he's meaningless. And also just getting in the way of Drea and Eleanor just being evil and gay together. Amazing. So because Max is a little weasel boy, he weasels out of this, what should be a slam dunk of a burn in the burn book, metaphorically, Mm. by pretending that he and his current girlfriend Tara are Polly. And actually, if you judge him, then you're the bigot. Yeah, 100%. And this, of course, makes him more popular. Drea also has a down point because she finds out that she's been rejected from Yale because she's been doing too much revenging. Mm-hmm. And the narrative buffs amongst you might think, hmm, it seems like we're in the Dark Knight of the Soul part. Isn't that normally in Act 3, quite near the end? Yeah, it is. This movie's too long. Um, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> a fair critique. A fair critique. And so it's like, okay, Drea at this point, having done what she thought was the original plan, where she's like, this is how far I'm willing to go. It turns out because the plan didn't work and now she has nothing to lose. She's like, I'm willing to do anything. And so it's going to destroy Max and all of her old friends who betrayed her um, by not sticking up for her by... I don't really know what their plan is. Like going to this big college admissions party and again, just like I can getting dirt she, on them. Yeah, no. So what was going to happen was because there's this admissions party for everybody who got into an Ivy League school and obviously Drea can't go, but Eleanor got into Brown and Columbia, bitches. So she can get in. At this party, they take away all of the cell phones so you can get away with whatever you want. When we're at that party later, it seems like whatever you want means doing ketamine. And so then Eleanor is going to go around and film everybody and dig dirt on them and then cancel them because doing ketamine is so much worse than drugging the whole of the school with mushrooms. But Mm. there you go. But then also, I kind of feel like the energy that this school is giving off, these people, their parents would just pay to get them out of it. So I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I guess good luck, um, Drea. But I don't think it's actually going to happen. So Eleanor kind of tries to drop some hints while Drea is kind of going off the rails trying to scheme this downfall of all of her rivals. It's dropped that, oh... Um, it's my birthday tomorrow. Do you want to like hang out or something? And it's when characters make these kinds of pleas that automatically my heart um, breaks, even if they are um, down the line going to turn into horrible monsters. Because all we want is somebody to spend our birthday with. I feel like we can talk about this later, Jazza, but it sounds like someone hurt you on your birthday. And I will we'll dig into this in the privacy of our own group chat. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So Drea ends up forgetting Eleanor's birthday, but who remembers it? All of the bitchy people that Drea wants Eleanor to frame. <gasps> oh my god. And so who are her real friends? Wow. Oh my god. So they end up having a big bust up at Eleanor's surprise party and everyone is upset essentially. And then we go into the the big twist and this is where I start act 3. Yeah, so I feel like at this point we should also point out there is another uh, romance side plot with Gabby. Gabby being Max's sister, who is... More interesting because gay, but also unimportant. Still kind of unimportant and not... Considering how much, like, intense energy there is between Dre and Eleanor, Gabby's very boring. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I like her in terms of... She has a very um, lesbian energy, but Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, the level of energy you need to have in this movie to stand out... It's not really happening. And I think it would have worked if we didn't get the big twist we're about to go into in Act 3 and Eleanor was who we thought she was and that they were both... She was just like the slightly awkward, socially awkward, like outsiders together. And that was going to be kind of where she ended up. But it turns out Eleanor is a fucking maniac. So Gabby's very boring. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I've called this act... Nosy Nora's Twisty Twora. Okay, well... Um, Thank you, I'll hold for applause. You will be holding. I'm I'm just going to call it Zoom Zoom. Because um, <laughs> a lot of stuff happens and also a car uh, goes, fo- goes reasonably fast and crashes. 20 miles an hour, it was a love tap, Rowan. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, this, this act is... Um, wow, what's what's going on with Eleanor? Maybe nothing, but maybe something. And so do you remember that Drea got someone put into rehab? Um, <laughs> at the very beginning of this movie. At the very beginning of the movie. And then also another person put into rehab from the magic mushroom plot. She's like, I should probably go and visit the victims of my machinations. And so goes to this rehab facility to see Carissa and to ask her what happened with Eleanor? Like, why did you do this to her? Is what she's saying true? Kind of just getting suspicious. So the story that Eleanor said at the beginning of the movie about being outed is recounted to Carissa by Drea. And Carissa's like, well, I hope you called bullshit 
because that was you, Drea. You spread that rumour and destroyed Eleanor's life. And then says, ah, Eleanor isn't who she says it is. She used to go to school with us and was called Nosy Nora. Now she's had a nose job and has called herself Eleanor and has clearly, like, tried to manipulate you. This obviously paints Drea as a really terrible person, not least because homophobia, but also... She couldn't remember doing this when mm-hmm. Eleanor raises it with her. Drea goes home and is then confronted by Eleanor, who threatens to frame Drea's mum with drug possession. And as a less economically affluent individual would probably actually have consequences for that, unlike all of the children that go to this school. Mm-hmm. Especially because her mum is a nurse. And so the idea mm-hmm. is like, she would also lose her job. Like, even if there was by some miracle she didn't get thrown in jail, like she would not be able to do her job anymore because it the implication would be that she was stealing the drugs from her work. Mm-hmm. At this point, we also get Eleanor's like point of view narration reality happening where she basically just like sits in a bath drinking champagne being like, okay, I admit it. I'm a crazy bitch, but like, <laughs> yeah, but I do it so well. There's a few of these scenes that I like brilliantly shot and really iconic but do seem like they've been spliced into the movie and it's like wait how does these characters actually get here like there's a point like in, in the final scene where max has like the oh no and and like falls down um and looks at the sky at the bottom of his stairs that feels like completely parachuted in eleanor and drea running into the ocean at the end it's also like well how did that happened there's there's a few of these kinds of like really iconic there's a like really iconic very beautiful scenes but also that make narratively absolutely Mm -hmm. no sense and what's really interesting is that eleanor essentially is like i um kind of uh was liking drea for a bit there like she kind of seemed cool and like i actually was into the forgiveness not the revenge stuff but then I did, in fact, change my mind, yeah. which I love because it's really interesting because if you if you're someone who is like this person ruined my life and that is something that happened uh, that's tinged with a prejudice, right? Like with homophobia, it wasn't just like mm-hmm. this person did something. It's like tinged with homophobia. And then you recount the story to them in their, in your car and they are like, that's so horrible. Like, that's awful. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm. Do they actually think that? Are they lying? Have they improved themselves? And then you slowly start to get to know them and then you start to become friends with them. So there is a world in which they just, you know, were friends. Um, But unfortunately, Drea got sucked into all of this revenge nonsense that not like Eleanor literally kind of created within her. You're scared of the monster you created, Eleanor. And so now we know actually what's happening. It's all been revealed. Yeah, Drea run like it said, incentivized to run because Eleanor says, I've told your boyfriend all about the drugging you did. And so she runs in her car, but then gets completely T-boned by Eleanor in her other car and ends up in the hospital in a very fancy hospital bed, by the way, in a room on her own. The NHS could never. I feel like in my head, Eleanor paid for that room. Like, I really feel like the energy oh, is just sure. like, only I get to hurt you now. Um revenge nonsense which is very like that's a big trope in that kind of like enemies to girlfriends that i just believe will happen after this movie ends 100 percent. and because of the sympathy of being in a car crash drea's old friends all come back to her and then invite her to the admissions party so we're at the admissions party and drea says the line of I made you I created you I can destroy you to Eleanor and then kind of like everything happens so quickly and everybody like there is 180 degree in character perspectives and then we have another 180 degree in character perspectives it's all over the fucking place so Drea goes from saying I created you so I can destroy you to then teasing Eleanor calling her nosy Nora and outing her in front of all of the other cool kids to then running after her and saying I'm so sorry I never meant to do this to then hearing the confession that Max eventually has around the fact that he he is finally finally we found out who leaked the fucking video and it was Max it's the least interesting person that it could have been and then they decide oh yeah we're actually 
actually really friends. And Drea says, you're the only person who's ever been a real friend to me, to Eleanor. All of this happens in the span of about five minutes. <laughs> and makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. Um, but I did plug in and qu- like strap in and quite enjoy it, you know? Yeah, I think that it's this trying to balance like likability and revenge narrative and ruthlessness and just like mean girls. Like this idea of like we were kind of we're just fucked up soulmates kind of vibes, which I really appreciate. And I the ed- but the energy of it being within like four to five minutes was true, true chaos because it was like both the external and the internal conclusions happened like at once right. all in the same time. And obviously we had a classic like throwback moment of like always have a contingency plan which is something Drea says before and so even though Drea like crushed her spy device Eleanor had a spy device and recorded Max the entire time while he did his confession and then they blast it over the party so everyone can see that he's an asshole and so it's like we got our revenge yay kinda and I'm gonna just I guess like uh, you know Eleanor got her revenge by driving into Drea's car I'm like she kind of just gives up on the revenge thing and it's just like I kind of just want us to be like getting revenge on everyone and having a good time together let's go drive in a convertible and vibe yeah so Max gets kicked out of Yale and then this is not how university's admissions it, work, by the way. And so there's a spare place at Yale and the headmaster, who's played by Sarah Michelle Geller, says, oh, there's a spare place at Yale. Do you want Max's place at Yale? Not how it works. Not how that um, works. But Drea decides, no, I want to explore other options. Sure, fine, girl. And then her and Eleanor... Uh, decide to skip graduation and then do a Thelma and Louise drive off into the sunset seeing I'm a bitch, I'm a lover. Yeah, and I think that they basically are planning to start their own. You know how they were like, wouldn't it be really cool if there was like an app where you could like get revenge? They should just start that business. They should be like, they go off to be private investigators together, but they're private investigators that also deal with the revenge part of the investigation. And they can just be unhinged and have absolutely no morals together. We're looking cute. That's what happens. That There's the end. The end, and there aren't any post-credit scenes, except there are. Where do you remember Russ and Gabby? Probably not, because we only mentioned them once because they're boring and unimportant. The two love interests. Basically, the post-credit scene is like, oh yeah, remember that B plot that we didn't really care about? That uh, that also is concluded. Don't worry about it. Drea and Russ make up. Eleanor and Gabby make up, and also Max. Um, continues to get away with it by becoming the sort of has no consequences to no doing consequences. revenge porn well no I guess he, does, he consequences. loses his place at yale but like i'm sure he also got into columbia and brown he's so a millionaire he's fine he's okay with it and that was do revenge we, we do it i'm done revenge i'm done what did you call me <laughs> So at this point in the podcast, we are going to give our ratings to this movie. So we are going to rate it out of six. A strange number, I know, but that is how many stripes are in the rainbow flag. And all of them have a meaning. So we're also going to assign each of the stripes that we give it with the meaning. Jazza, how many stripes and what colours are you going to give Do Revenge? Uh, I mean, a great question, Rowan, that I hadn't actually thought about until you just asked me. Mm-hmm. Normally, you're the one asking and I have to yeah, scramble. I so I this enjoy is... this dynamic change now. I've finally got my revenge. Uh, <laughs> shut up. Um, I, uh, I'm i going to give it three. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give it uh, healing because they got their <laughs> revenge, I guess. Yep. Which is orange. I'm going to give it green for nature because you know what? They made Miami actually look quite nice. And the mushrooms. Thank you so much. And it had the spirit, the purple of all of the previous like teen trash movies that have come before it. So I'm giving it three orange, green and purple. How about you? I'm going to do four. I'm going to do life. You know, it had that zest. Mm -hmm. Red. Red. I'm going to do yellow for sunlight because of the yellow uniforms and also Miami. Good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do harmony because, which is blue, just for the irony. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to do purple spirit because, again, American high schools and spirit just go together. It just kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like before we watch this movie, I did message Jazza to say, I am going to make a, a prediction that I will think that this movie is 
would have been better if they'd have gotten together. Cause I just knew like the trailer looked like it might be gay. And I was like, it's not going to be gay. Like in terms mm -hmm. of the two lead characters together. And, uh, and I was right. It, it wasn't, but I still think it would have been better if it was, if they just there were, were like, there was some gay making out though, evil but gays it was a shitty together. Exactly. I just feel like the, if you're going to go down the evil mean lesbian route, commit, you know, Right. Get the get the depraved bisexual trope in there as well and, and have them kiss. Hey, look at this. We used to do a segment on the podcast where we said, um, how would you make this film gayer? And look at Rowan, bring it back. There it is. That's what I that's all I would do. I think I'm gonna be really interested to see if this movie, considering that it's doing, it seems to be doing quite well on Netflix in terms of uh, viewing figures, although Netflix um, prioritizes completion rate over viewing figures, very watch time of them, Jazza, am I right? right. And that, that was a YouTube reference, uh, apologies. We are not on that platform stop, right now. Stop being a nerd, Rowan. But, not yet. <laughs> but like, we don't know how well the movie has done in terms of what Netflix wants it to do, but I'm really fascinated to find out whether they think it has sequel potential and what that sequel looks like in terms of plotline, in terms of whether they're going to take another sort of famous unhinged movie to, to kind of go with, if it's going to be the same characters or just those two, like what's going to happen with it? Because I think we've had a lot of uh, Netflix movies that didn't necessarily perform anywhere near as good as this, The Kissing Booth, I'm looking at you, that have spawned multiple sequels. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. I hope they don't. And that's all I have to say on the matter. <laughs> I hope if they do, they just they just decide that B plots aren't necessary and mm -hmm. they just get stick to ninety minutes. Like get unless them you're Lord to of the kiss. Rings, you don't need to be longer than ninety minutes and also more making out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we need your help to keep the podcast going. If you like what we are doing and are able to support us, please join our Patreon. As a patron, you can join our queer movie club where we do watch-alongs in our Discord each month. And that's just with the bare minimum monthly payment on Patreon. Uh, at higher levels, you can also get our movie recommendations and a monthly newsletter with a curation of all of the gay shit that we found on the internet. Thank you once again to Jennifer and Toby for supporting us on the highest tier possible on Patreon. Woohoo! We, woo we really can't believe that we have your support. It's really cool. Thank you. And you can also make sure that you follow and subscribe to the podcast so you are notified of our next episode in whatever podcast app you're using. We have been Jazza John and Rowan Ellis. We are edited by Julia Shafini and are part of Multitude. Find out more of their amazing stuff at multitude.productions. See you later, my darlings. Bye. Toodaloo.